Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. A Podcast One production. Hello, my name is Gary Megan and this is A Plate to Call Home, where we explore the unknown stories behind the food that we all love. He's arguably responsible for creating the chic cafe scene in Melbourne. He's had restaurants like Top Paddock, Kettle Black, Three Bags Full and many more to his name. But Nathan Tolman isn't resting on his laurels anytime soon. He's now opened a new cafe called Liminal in the city and incredibly sold almost all of his core businesses to create a huge project that's set to change the face of the hospitality industry forever. It's all about mindfulness, meditation and reconnecting with our food. In my opinion, it's something that we've lost along the way. A real connection and understanding of where our food is grown and just what it takes to get it from the farm to the plate. Something that we think we understand, but most of us don't. It's the lost art, and I love the fact that he's bringing it back into his new venture called Common Ground. Here he is, Nathan Tolman. Where do you think everybody would know you from? Oh, probably um, from Top Paddock, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. that was probably the first uh, cafe that we did probably five or six years ago that sort of put us um, on the map and I guess took us to a new level. Yeah. Why did it take you to a new level? I mean, I know, but explain um, to the audience. I think before then, um, cafes were generally just sort of smaller places. They were maybe not sort of pushing their boundaries as much with regards to food uh, and service. And I think, um, you know, we were kind of doing smaller cafes then and we kind of, we saw an opportunity, I guess, where there was a cafe market and there was a restaurant market that there was this big gap in the middle that kind of wasn't really being catered to. And I think people were kind of wanting a little bit more of that kind of luxury experience, but on a daily basis at a, at a more accessible price point. So we kind of thought, look, let's, let's do something with a serious kitchen. Um, you know, like mostly cafe kitchens were usually thrown together with like a couple of dollars. Whereas we thought let's invest in the kitchen. Let's actually attract some really good chefs and let's create a space where people actually were like, wow. Is that how you set out to do it? I mean, had you, in, in your previous businesses, and we'll talk about those, had you got to this point where you've gone, you know what, I've, I think we've nailed this thing. Like, we know what gets people excited about food and about um, cafe culture. Look, I wish I could say we had a plan and we had a really clear goal, but um, we've never really had a real plan or a goal, and I've actually never done a business plan before. before right. I think we just are naturally attracted to new opportunities and, and new sites, and this was an opportunity that came to us. And in everything that we've done, we kind of always... I guess we're as excited about new things as much as anyone else is. So we were kind of like, oh, 
what can we do here that hasn't been done and how can we push it? And uh, Top Paddock was that chance to really do that. Yeah. I mean, look, from my perspective, when Top Paddock opened, I mean, it was the newest, biggest, brightest thing to, you know, to hit the Melbourne cafe scene ever, mm. I reckon, you know, in, in when I think about it. Yeah. There'd been lots of little places that had, had kind of had created a pyramid towards that point. But I remember going there the first time, the queue down, and this is a big, Cafe. I mean, yeah. how many people does it sit? About 160 two, seats. I was going to say, two, it's got to be 200. Mm. And there was a queue down the street. The place mm. is humming. You know, it's at a, a little, for people that don't live in Melbourne, on, on a point on Church Street that really had no other kind of reason to be there, yeah. maybe. I mean, Pearl yeah. used to be yeah. opposite, but that yeah. was a nighttime venue. Yeah. So you're at the wrong end of uh, Chapel Church Street, mm. um, and all of a sudden you can't find a park. Uh, <laughs> hordes of young, trendy hipsters are crossing the road, and you're going, I'm never going to get a table here. Yeah, You know, that's, that's yep. what happened. So, yeah. I mean, in terms of game changers, I think uh, game changing on the Melbourne uh, breakfast scene for sure. Yeah. yeah, I think it was just a point in time. I think you know when you're at the right place at the right time, and that was the start of social media. Like we we opened a social media account the week we opened, and we had. I remember I was I went overseas a few months later to New York, and I was in New York, and I was like, oh my god, we just cracked ten thousand followers. It was like a really strange time because no one was really doing social media then either. Yeah, you know, it was it was at that point people started wanting to share experiences and 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 talk about it through social media as well. Because the the Melbourne breakfast uh, culture, I think, and I whether we just say this as Australians, but it's a, it's a game changer, not just in Australia, but I think around the world. Don't you think? I mean, oh. our coffee culture, yeah. our, uh, our love of breakfast, mm. for whatever reason that is. Why, why, do, you, why do you think? Yeah, look, I, I often ask that question to myself because, I mean, people do look at Australia and Melbourne in particular all around the world as being this space where breakfast has just exploded and so many now restaurants or cafes around the world have kind of come from from Melbourne and you know opening in New York and LA um, I I met Oliver Strand the the food writer for New York Times a few years ago at um, at Kettle Black and he was just like what the hell's going on in this town like there's so many amazing <laughs> cafes and restaurants and the fit outs are amazing and the service is amazing and the produce is amazing um, and I really I, I don't know what it is I think just people generally there's this kind of competitive nature where we all want to push ourselves personally and also you know it's just one of those things where people are constantly striving to raise the bar you know um and there is an opportunity to get great produce here there are so many great chefs here i think a lot of chefs were looking for an opportunity to maybe go from doing the crazy long hours and nights but still be able to have the same creativity in the day and work in a more of a kind of a stable daytime environment so we found so many chefs that were coming from really great restaurants saying i want to work in a cafe because i can still sous vide i can still use um, induction i can still use all of these great techniques that i was using in a restaurant where traditionally in a cafe you wouldn't have thought that yeah um so it just kind of created this whole new um niche that hadn't been met and breakfast that's not breakfast because exactly. that's, that's what really what it is isn't it we, yeah. we've fallen in love with this idea maybe because we're great travelers as australians but we've fallen in love why can't you have fish for breakfast why can't oh, you have noodles for breakfast so true. Yeah. why can't you have a burger and now we just like take it for granted yep. but at the time when top paddock opened what was it what top paddock opened what was the biggest seller on the menu when you first opened do you remember yeah um and it, it was so surprising because obviously jesse mctavish was our chef who'd come from um byron bay and he had a real seafood background and he was like i want to do some seafood and i'm like Great, let's do it. Like people are ready for a change, and we're doing soft shell crab burgers. Um, you know, I remember fish. those. Just so you know, Dave. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, we did that for a while. But we had to get rid of it because it was just so expensive to go out, to yeah. buy fresh soft shell crab from Australia. There was only one place doing it, um, and the only other option was buying a frozen one from you know from Asia yep. that was a fraction of the price, but just 
we just didn't want to do that. So we had to take it off the menu or charge like $35 for it, which people just wouldn't pay. But yeah, I think I think the seafood was the real was the real open eye opener for us that people wanted different things for breakfast. Yeah. The breakfast salad. Oh, look, the, the pancakes. The, yeah, the hotcakes have, have been our number one seller for years. Yeah. And I guess that was what really... Would um, that be one of the most uh, Instagrammable, photographed yeah, uh, desserts, you definitely, reckon? definitely, yeah. The prettiest pancakes you've ever seen. I say pancake because it's still yeah, a pancake, but yeah, hot call, cake. Call it it's a pancake. hot cake. But basically a, a big kind of singular hot cake that looks like a, a, big a fancy almost. dessert. Yeah, you know, really. just... Flowers, compound butters, yep. you name it. Yeah, violet sugar. So, whose idea was that? Um, well, that actually started um, in our first cafe, which was probably about twelve years ago. We did a little cafe out in Elfington called Apt. Um, my my wife, who's a chef, we'd been to, we've been together for over twenty years now. But she she and I worked in restaurants together, and we had this dream to open a restaurant. And um, yeah, we were driving past this little milk bar in the middle of nowhere, and had this vision, and I'm like, let's do it. Um, so we we. We borrowed $50,000, which is all we could get. Yeah. And we did a full restaurant fit out, cafe, chairs, tables, kitchen, coffee machine for 50000 And about a week before we opened, I was like, right, I'm, I was doing the design and fit out. We didn't have a builder or anyone. And I was like, okay, now how's the menu going, by the way? I'm so focused on the fit out. And my wife's very laid back and super chill. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I haven't really started the menu yet. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like we're opening in a week and you haven't even started the menu. And I don't know how she did it, but she pulled this menu together in a, in a week. And one of them was um, the ricotta hotcake. It was based on the one from Bill's, Bill, Bill Granger. His yeah. um, beautiful big hotcake. It had um, orange scented ricotta on it, beautiful rhubarb, um, some poached fruit. And it was just the start of that kind of era of like, serving that kind of food in, in a cafe environment. I sure so, remember Matt Preston came in about a week or two after we opened, um, which was so surprising. He came in, this this guy, and we got pretty busy pretty quickly. And and my business partner, Diamond, who we've been together for 12 years, she was working for me at the time as a waitress. And she she came out and she goes, that was really weird. This guy just came in and ordered three dishes. And I was like, that's weird. And she goes, yeah, I looked at his name on his credit card. It was Matt Preston. And she didn't know who he was. And I was like, are you kidding me? Matt Preston just came in. And then sure enough, <laughs> a nice little review came after that. So I think um, that was like- It yeah. all helped. Matt Matt uh, is very proud of that era because he was the one that used to re- review all the far-flung restaurants yeah, and, and cafes. So it'd be in a dumpling house in Bandanong yep. or yeah. you know Springvale or something. And he'd write it very- um, People locked on to that kind of- Critical. Re- it wasn't a critical review, as in he'd only write about it if it was good. Yeah, and so people loved that. Yep. And uh, he'd always joke about it. he was like second page or third page, but they were the ones that everybody read. Yeah, and that was back in the time when you know that was like a bible <clears throat> reading that every week. Oh, yeah, I, I loved it. Um, yeah, so he he came and gave us a great review, and we, you know, we were doing like really simple food, like um, you know braised lamb sandwich with with feta and and red pepper even to the point where we were she was doing um she was probably the first person to start smashing avocado she did i want to do avocado with some feta and some pepita and olive oil and i'm like yeah that sounds great um she she we used to do a banana bread with with labna and rhubarb and pistachios and that was a real signature dish as well back then and within the first year we won um uh, a magazine award for the best cafe in australia so we kind of got this momentum and i think that was where we really were like well, how cool is this to be able to build spaces, create spaces out of nothing and then bring people together? But that kind of thinking is unusual because even as you're describing the dishes, I'm going, oh, yum. You know, how long ago was that? That was 12 years ago. 12 years ago. So I'm just going, that, that's delicious. You know? yeah. So it's as current now as it 
it was 12 years ago. It is right? totally, but it's also to the point where we can't smash avocado anymore in our venues because at the time we were doing them, you know, smashing avocado to order. My wife used to get an order for the banana bread and she'd get a pear and she'd cut it and she'd put it in the oven with sugar and caramelize it to order. These days, you know, restaurants have buckets of avocado ready to go, you know, so we refuse to now serve avocado that way. We actually started serving it in a skin because we kind of thought, you know what, it's not cooking anymore when you start just, you can actually buy avocado smashed if you really want can to. You, it's can that, you that do point. that now? Yeah. I never knew that. I remember reading, I was in France a couple of years ago and I remember reading this article about Australian cafe culture in Paris and, you know, Paris traditionally a monoculture of French cuisine and mm. bad coffee, to be honest. There's mm. all these Frenchmen screaming as I say it, but there'll be a lot of tourists that recognise that. You know, yeah. you go and sit in this classic, you know, brasserie and eat terrible food. Yeah. And uh, lines down the street for yeah. smashed avocado. And then, of course, them saying, but hang on a minute, avocado's not only in season, but we're not even getting, they were coming from Kenya. Yeah, well, know, that's the point as well, isn't it? So a massive yeah. problem. So, But yeah. it shows you that cafe culture that we have here and what you've done here has travelled mm. that far. Does that... Oh, look, it's fill you with uh, pride. It does. It's flattering. And I love, I love to think that we had a, a small part to play in that um, going around the world. And yeah, I often see hotcakes like ours in other parts of the world that look identical. And it's like, wow, how cool is that? You so know? you're not offended by that? No, not you've, at all. You've passed it on. I think it's once you create something, it's the public domain, you know, yeah. and, and it's there for everyone to be enjoyed. And it's, yeah. yeah. What, was the, what was the business before Top Paddock? Because when I remember when, actually when you opened Top Paddock and as yep. a restaurateur thought, gee, this is a departure from the boys, mm. um, the way they'd operated in the past is different. Like yeah. it was big, it, it was new, was. cost a lot of money. Yep. You know, we're all speculating, as restaurateurs <laughs> do, speculating about a rent and yeah. all the rest of it. Now we're working out how much you've got to turn over. Yep. So a bit of a departure. What was the... The one before that was three bags full. Three um, bags full. In Abbotsford. Correct. And that was probably, yeah. I think we did Apt first, which is a little cafe. As I said, we did that for $50,000. <clears> the next one we did was in Hawthorne called Lie Lie, which we did for $70,000. So two little cafes that were, but they, they, they went really well. And then Three Bags Four was that kind of next step where, um, you know, we actually invested a bit more in the fit out, a bigger space. And uh, that was about 250 square meters. But you did cents. a lot of the fit out and the work that in there yourself. Again, myself, yeah. I actually broke my wrist on that fit out. I fell off a ladder. Um, so well for the tough. first three, actually for the first four, we designed and built them ourselves. Top Paddock was the first one where we actually thought, you yeah. know what, we need an architect for this one. This is way beyond me. Yeah. Every man needs to fall off a ladder, by the way. Yeah, I know. It's early enough in their life to know that it's it's really not good. And, and I caught my father-in-law up a ladder <laughs> at the age of 70. I go, get down. Yeah. No man over so 70 true, should be it? up a ladder. But oh. everybody falls off a ladder, right? And yeah. breaks something. Or this was about a week it, before my first child was oh born. Just before um, Three Bags Full <laughs> Open. So I fell on, fell down the ladder all by myself washing the walls and I, I had to get my phone out of my pocket and call my business partner, Ben, and say, hey, Ben, I think I've broken my wrist. And he came in and he's like, your whole wrist was all bent. Yeah. And so they took me off to the hospital and I was like, I need to call my wife. And she came in and she was like, oh, great. This is your last, a little bit of attention before we have a baby, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And open, and open a new business. Yeah. And did you discover what you could do in that business with one broken uh, wrist? Well, the you biggest know, you problem still I carry had, coffees or? that was the biggest problem. When I actually came out of the cast, <coughs> I couldn't turn my hand past sort of halfway. So I had to actually train my hand to turn around again because to not be able to not only carry a plate, but also take money, you know? Like, <laughs> how am I going to take money if I can't open my palm? So yeah, um, it becomes a useful platform for something, right? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, it's very funny. Yeah. So, um, and three bags full, that, that, that was in Abbotsford, right? Yeah. Um, what, was, what were the big challenges when you opened that? What, what were the things you went, oh, seriously, why do we do this? Or Again, that was, um, that was a heritage building that we, um, we took. Um, there was nothing there. So we, I guess we were probably a little bit naive sometimes in, in what, 
is involved in converting an old building. Um, there's so many more regulations as the years goes on with regards to building permits, fire safety, um, all of these things that you don't really think about when you're starting out. Um, but look, to be honest, it wasn't um, it wasn't as bad as probably what I what I anticipated. It was it was something that we got through, you know, fairly easily in the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. So third cafe. Yep. And getting used to it. And, yeah. And this becoming part of your shtick, I suppose. Yeah. You're, you're building a following and people are following you around from yeah. cafe to cafe. Yeah. We were really lucky that I think back then there were a lot less cafes around, a lot less competition and people were a lot more loyal. So you'd get the same people coming to the cafe every weekend. You'd get to know those customers. And, you know, I think you, you got to develop a really strong relationship with the customers and, and the staff involved. There were so many great staff around at that time of, yeah. of our life. So it was like a really magical moment in time. But where do you think this in, instinct for hospitality comes from? Is it, is it, is it running your blood or is it... For me, um, it's probably a combination. I, I wish I could say that, um, you know, my mum and dad used to peel potatoes at the table and we'd all get around and do that. It's, it's not as... Uh, romantic is that for me? If you got a French accent, it sounds better. Yeah, too. You know, yeah. I used to pick uh, vegetables mm, in the garden, yep, and, all that. and you go, "Oh, I wish I had a childhood like that." Yeah, no, I think I think for me, um, <laughs> my um, my parents used to um, buy and renovate houses quite a lot, and we'd go into places and actually build them and renovate them, and then that also involved doing the garden, and they'd, they'd be finished with these amazing, beautiful houses with this beautiful garden, and then they'd sell it and go and do it again. So I kind of got that eye in terms of developing and building. I, I love that kind of space. But probably for me, my sort of earliest point was um, one time when I was about seven, my my sister and I went to um, mum and dad's friend owns the, um, the the Marysville pub, which recently burnt down. And uh, we went there and I remember going in there and they kind of invited us to the back of house area. And I went into the kitchen and I kind of discovered this whole world of like all these little nooks and crannies. And I was like, how cool is this? It was like a whole world. Um, and on the top of that, we... Um, my sister and I then got left to explore on our own once the parents all got chatting and that was even more fun, kind of, you know, digging deeper into a massive old hotel. And we saw these guys and they were they were taking they were um we thought they were working there and they were emptying all the money out of the pool table. So we sort of said, I oh, will help you. And then um after we left, we went back to mum and dad and they were like, Oh, what what were you doing? I'm like, Oh, we, we helped the guys clean the pool table out. And the guy who owns the pub's like, What do you what do you mean? And we're like, Oh, the guys that work here, we helped them get all the money out. And they're like, they're not guys that work here. So then suddenly it was like a... So they just mis- got rolled oh, and but, two little kids helped yeah, them. Yeah, and I helped them. I'm, I'm an accomplice to this, you know. But then it became even more exciting because I was like, can you point them out? And there was this busy hotel and I'm running around with my sister. I'm like, that's them over there. That's them. And, you know, the police got involved. So then suddenly it felt like we're in this famous five movie. And from that minute on, I'm like... I want to be a hotel manager. You, I want to do that. How old are you? Seven. Yeah. Do you trust a seven-year-old on a like an identity <laughs> kit or whatever you call it? You know, like I a, think all their pockets were full of coins. So there's oh, some pretty strong evidence. Dead giveaway. They were trying to run away with a hundred weight of coins in yeah. their pocket. That's very funny. Yeah. So that was where I decided I want to do this for um for a job. That early. Mm. Wow. So traveling through school. Yeah. Was so all that still in your mind? Yep. You, you didn't uh, you didn't no. think I want to be a farmer or a- no? When I was about probably fifteen and about year nine, I remember getting off the bus one day and they were building some shops near my house and there was a pizza restaurant getting built. And I'm like, I'm going to go and ask these guys for a job. And my mate's like, well, what do you want to do that for? And I'm like, I want to, I want to go and work in this, this pizza restaurant. So I went in and they, they said, yeah, we need someone three nights a week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night from five till 10. I think I got like five bucks an hour, but it was having a job as a 15 year old and having that income and being involved in that space. And by the time I was in like year 11, I was still going to school. Of course, I was almost managing the place. So then when I finished year 12, I, um, 
I went to William Anglis and studied hotel management. Yeah. Probably so this was a fate complete. Or you'd, it's, it, it's, it's unusual, I think, that mm. you find people that knew some, from such an early early age. I'm like, when yeah. I talk to George, he always goes, ah, oh, look, you know, since I was a kid. Yeah. And I'm like, well, no, for me, it was about 15 or yeah. 16 years old where the penny dropped. Yep. So that's, that's mm. lovely. Well, then my parents actually followed my footsteps and bought a hotel in the country while I was studying hotel management. And then my sister did an apprenticeship as a chef. Um, I, I met my my wife 20 years ago working in restaurants as as a, as a restaurateur, as a chef. So it's kind of like it's it's all I know and it's Do all Do they forgive you done. for that? Have you Did you drag them into something that they didn't want to be yeah, into? Yeah, they did actually. My parents, they they sold the pub a few years later and thought that was the hardest. They they thought it was going to be an easy life, like semi-retirement. Yeah. Dad was a banker. All a lifestyle was, business. A little, yeah. Dad was a bank manager and mum was a nurse and they were like, we're going to buy a country pub and just take it easy. And they'd never yeah. worked so hard for such little money in all their life. So <laughs> they actually sold it and went back to doing what they were doing yeah. before. But then that's what seasoned restaurateurs and cafe owners are, are banking on in a sense. Yeah. In the other way, isn't it? Is to pick up a business that somebody bought for a lifestyle yeah. because they thought it was going to be easy. Yep. Yeah. And then they realized that no, it wasn't. And they just want to give the keys to, yeah. to someone else been who that can smart do it. Yet, Gary, and I, I've actually tried to build them all from the ground up as opposed to taking on ones that already uh, exist, but I probably I've, should learn from I'm that. I'm just saying on behalf of all of us, I think you've done pretty well. So it's okay. <laughs> You're uh, the benchmark, I think. No. Uh, I mean, if you think about how many people you've inspired over the years, you know, young chefs and, I mean, you've been in the business long enough now where I suppose a lot of people that started training with you are now your colleagues, no? Yeah. You're, yep. uh, in the business and doing well. Yeah, so. absolutely. I'm so proud of people that have worked with me or for me that are now doing other great things. I mean, Nolan Nolan Hurt, he, he owns Proud Mary, he... um. He worked for me in my first cafe. He came over from Perth as a barista and then we became um, business partners in Lila and he off, he went off and did Proud Mary and now he's off in America. It's, um, you know, it's, it's crazy. I love making this series and I hope that you love listening too. If you do, subscribe and send us a message because believe it or not, we actually read those messages. What we want to know is what you think about the show, more importantly about the conversations that we have with our guests. We love hearing from you. That's what I'm trying to say. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One Australia or wherever you listen. And if you're feeling like it, maybe even recommend the show to a friend. You never know, they might find it as delicious as you do. Tell us about the Covent Ground Project. This is something that's quite close to your heart. Yeah, this is something that we're really passionate about. Um, it started probably as a bit of a concept probably a couple of years ago now. We um, we, we bought a farm down in Merricks about four years ago and had 10 acres of land there. And we used to go down there every weekend with the kids and my wife and realised how great it was to be out in nature and you know growing produce and reconnecting with, you know, with the soil, I guess. Um, and we just sort of realised that there was an opportunity there to actually use that land. So um, I put the word out to the chefs at Top Paddock and said, hey, guys, we've got this land. Would anyone be keen to come down and actually work on it? So one of my chefs, Simon, said, look, I'd love to be involved. So one day a week he started coming down onto the farm and essentially turning this barren patch of grassland into a working farm. Um, and then one day became two, two days became three, and suddenly all this produce started arriving into Top Paddock, and we're like, well, how good's this? We're actually now growing our own produce. But not only the fact that we were growing our own produce, the fact that um, the involvement from the chefs and the, the kind of buy-in from them, but also just the whole outlook on, um, on cooking seemed to really change. You know, like um, Simon became so positive and passionate about what he was doing. Um, it made us kind of realise that, look, this is actually a really great opportunity for us to engage with our staff to show our staff that we are actually committed to the environment, but also in terms of mental health, you've got to acknowledge that being outdoors, working in, on the land, working with other people is a really great um, release from maybe working in a kitchen five days a week. So um, 
we decided to actually close that down and sell the farm and then um, to find a space where we can actually open up a uh, a public space that could become a cafe as well as a co-working farm for chefs around Melbourne and Victoria to actually go down on the farm and work one day a week and actually be involved in growing produce together um, as part of a, a way of reconnecting with the soil, reconnecting with themselves and with each other. I think there's a real opportunity at the moment where people are feeling disconnected from maybe the produce they're growing from each other. Um, and yeah, so this is the opportunity that we found we could you know work on that. What are you seeing as a, in terms of positive... Well, results from what we, you've achieved so far because this is a big this is a you've opened a can of worms yeah really. yeah well look we 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 <clears> I, <throat> I personally started meditating about a year ago so i started to see the benefits of doing a daily meditation so first of all we introduced that into our staff at, at, at liminal about three months ago when we opened and every morning the chefs do a five minute meditation um, meditation has been proven to show that you can actually see a stressful moment or a stressful environment and actually go you know what this is just a feeling Feelings have a middle and a beginning and an end, and sometimes you need to just let them pass before you actually react, if you need to react at all. Um, and I think, you know, when you look at the environment that we're in, uh, uh, one in four suffer from mental health, usually, whether you like it or not, we all have mental health. It's We have physical yeah. health, we have gut health, everyone has mental health. Yeah. You have good days, you have bad days, you have times when you might be feeling really positive, you have times when you might be feeling really stressed, whatever is happening in your life. So how can we, as, a, as an industry, start to focus on ways to deal with that kind of stressful environment? Um, so yeah, the way it works now is, um, that the, the chefs come down to the cafe, to the, to the farm. We do a meditation in the morning, um, have breakfast together, uh, work on the farm together. And then basically at the end of the day, you go back to your kitchen and then any of the produce that we grow on the farm gets delivered back to the venue. So it's kind of like a co-op, um, and, and the way it's set up is as a, as a social enterprise. So any money that the cafe raises or the, or the membership raises yeah. goes back into regenerative agriculture, but as well as focusing on things we can do for our industry with regards to mental it's, health. There's a lot going on. It's multi- Well, it's social and environmental kind of too. Yeah. When you think about what, what we do, Gary, we, we serve food and we serve people and, and people serve that food. So if we're not looking after the people that serve the food and we're not kind of focusing on the food we're serving, then something's not right. Mm. You know? did, and, did something motivate you to do this at the start? Um, I think it was just the benefits we got from doing it on my farm. I kind of realized, you know what, this is a really great opportunity to actually open this up to mm. the whole industry. So this isn't about me. It's not about my industry. It's about, sorry, it's about my industry. You know, like yeah. I, I care about the industry. I take a lot out of it. I think we need to actually be able to put back into it. So we look at it as saying, nourishing those who nourish us, you know, like yeah. how can we support them? Have you had anybody in the team that is really on a personal level is benefited hugely well, from it. Simon you? particularly, he's he's one that's put his hand up and said he suffered from mental health issues and he's yeah. he's open now saying in doing meditation every day and being involved in this has completely changed his outlook. Um, he actually wants to be a farmer now. So um, it's also showing right. chefs that maybe, you know, you get to a point as a chef where you go, well, what do I do now? I've spent my whole life doing this. Maybe going into farming is an opportunity as well because we always need good produce. And, you know, Victoria is regarded as being, you know, the food bowl of, mm. of you know, Australia in a lot of ways. We need to start thinking about getting people into farming yeah. as well. Did you recognise that when he said that to you? Did you recognise that yeah. from his behaviour in the past or yep. how he would deal with Totally things? changed, yeah. Like it, we all noticed it. And he was he was open enough to say, look, this is actually making me feel better. Yeah. Um, and so then we started getting other chefs to go down and they were coming back in the same kind of state of mind. And it's like, yeah. hang on a minute, what are we doing here? There's something that we can really so do. So what did you notice? Sorry to drag you back into that. Mm. But it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because we, you know, there are lots of initiatives around about, you know, identifying, you know, like, are you okay? You know? Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. And people find it awkward to ask yep. in the first place, I think. Or they go, oh, he's just having a morning or she's having a bad day or yeah. whatever and they kind of sweep it under the carpet so yep. with him did you was there a did you grab him and say hey what's going on or he he was he was open enough to say it which is so you know courageous it's unusual yeah it is but 
that's kind of where we're saying, well, this is a space where if we're going there as a group and we're chefs from all around Melbourne and Victoria, we're all here for the same reason. Mm. We're here because we actually care about mental health and we care about the food we're serving. So, you know, why can't you say to someone, oh, you're looking great. Oh, yeah, I've, I've been going to the gym. I've been working out. Oh, you're working on your physical health. Awesome. Mm. Why not better say, you're looking great. Yeah, actually, I, I went and saw someone last week for my for mental health. I was really struggling with a you know, personal matter and, and, you know, I'm actually feeling really good about it. Like, why can't we do that? You know, like it's no well, because difference. there's a stigma attached to it because people go, oh, you know, I bumped into Nathan and he was At the he was overly open. And I yeah. really wanna, he was telling me that he went and saw a yeah. you know medical health yep. consultant. So often it's just um you know like you think about people take vitamins for their gut health. Yeah, uh, uh, the, your mind is like the motor to your car. You can't yeah. expect your car to run forever. It needs oil and it needs to be serviced. Yeah, and sometimes the car might overheat, and sometimes you might need to check it in for a service. And you know we've been so blind to the fact that our mind controls so much of what we do and we need to you know acknowledge yeah. that we might need to look after what it. do you notice in the workplace now from people that are they're involved with this because i'd imagine there are some people that want to be involved and uh, others they go no i'm too busy and i've got no mine. look it's funny actually when I, when I when we opened liminal three months ago i was like right we're going to start meditation from day one so i came in at six o'clock and i did the, the first meditation with the chefs at six ten. Six thirty, I did another one with the next round. Seven o'clock, I, I meditated eight times that day. I basically <laughs> levitated out of the building at the end of the day, uh, and I did it for the first week. And now they do it on their own. So um, they they get in in the morning. They go into the private dining room. It's just a five minute app. We yep. use one called Headspace. There's one called Ten Percent Happier. They're both really simple. You just put it on. You close your eyes, and you just it's basically just trying to get you to let thoughts get out of your mind and just free your mind of any thoughts. Yeah. Um, we did the induction last week for the Common Ground Project. My God, the, ama- the amazing people that are working in this project that want to be involved. People are actually moving from Melbourne to Geelong just to work in this project. We had so many chefs in the kitchen that are working there. We had one great chef apply. We said, look, we don't need any more chefs. And he goes, I want to work here. I'll work on the floor. So we've got now people that just want to be involved because they realize socially it's a really important issue. Regenerative agriculture is all about building up the biomes and the soil and, and rebuilding the soil. There's no chemicals, no pesticides. Think about the food we eat. Where does it come from? The soil, you know? Why are we adding all these harmful chemicals to the food? And how much of that is affecting our gut health and our mental health? Mm. Um, yeah, the the response down there has been amazing. It sounds like it could be a big beast, you know, going to be yeah. trying to hang on to it and it's going to be going in different directions, I yeah. imagine, because it's quite complex. It is, but it's one of the most exciting things I've ever done. Like, this is the first time I've actually had to do a business plan as such because um, we've got a, it's a social enterprise. We've had to set up yeah. a board. Um, you know, we've got um, some great people, Beck from uh, the CEO of Streets on the board, Imogen Thomas from uh, the festival director of Festival 21 from the Sandra de Maia Foundation. Yeah. All these great women that are actually getting this kind of project off the ground with me is, is really um, inspiring. Yeah. And as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, because, you know, things flashed through your mind. You know, try, I remember, you know, working ridiculous hours, you know, I'm talking 20, 25 years ago, and trying to stay trying to have some clarity in amongst the fog, mm. you know, and you'd do split shifts. And so yep. you'd be working in from early in the morning, working through lunch, you know, mm. kicking out all this food, putting out all this beautiful food and yet eating really badly yourself, yep. yeah. you know, because you're just, you know, just grabbing stuff as you go. Yeah. It's that image of a chef, you know, girl or boy sitting on a crate mm. at the end of service, yep. having a cigarette, yeah. you know, and I would, and I got into this routine of just going out because people wouldn't go out on a break yeah you know like getting out in the fresh air going for a Mm. walk you know trying to clear my mind you know go for a run whatever it was just to take a break breathe some air come back in and yet so many of my colleagues would just hang around in their chef's bites and you know sit on a crate and talk and then just go back into the the dark gloomy because that's what it felt like yeah you know back into the drudge the trenches into the trenches hopefully those days are over i think 
I think to a large majority they are. I think there's uh, there's obviously this kind of you know SAS mentality that still yep. exists, you know, in some kitchens where they want to do the best, and so they this is the environment they mm. want to work in. But it's it's certainly gone, I think, to a large extent, and thank goodness for that. But projects like this. They're, they're few and far between. Yeah, look, it, it made total sense to us and it's so exciting to be involved in a project that for me isn't about actually making money, it's about making a positive change. We want to make money, but the money we make from it gets all reinvested back into the project and, and other initiatives. Yeah. So. so with the Common Ground project, do you think this, uh, obviously for you it's the way of the future, mm. do you think this is part of the, the change, the catalyst for change? Yeah, totally. Imagine a, imagine a world or a, a, a restaurant industry where, you know, all the staff get to start the day with the meditation. Staff are involved in actually not only cooking the food, but also growing it. You know, like how, how amazing would that be? Um, and I think as a customer, you want to know where your food's coming from. Um, and you also want to know that the food you're being served is cooked with love by people that are feeling engaged and looked after. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a huge part of it. So if you were if you were encouraging I don't know, other employees out there, cafe owners that are thinking along the same lines, what, what do you reckon they should do? Just get it started. Just do something. Just make a... Yeah, look, I think... Um, I think a lot of people probably start with the the idea of you know starting really big, but obviously I started with a really small cafe and and grew to to larger. I think um, the biggest the biggest issue would be just don't over um overcapitalize and understand what you know what the expense are. Yeah, that, that I was talking more about the the kind of experience you have now and how right. you're thinking about oh. the Common Ground project. I oh. mean that's that's uh, that's an initiative that people need to be paying attention to. Yeah, I mean if we're spreading the word, yeah, what do they need to do? We would love people to come down there and support the business. Um, yeah. And we would love, you know, any chefs to come down and become members as well. And if anyone else feels strongly about it, I would recommend setting up their own common ground project as well. Yeah. It's not something that we own. We Is it share. something that you think you'll be able to connect the dots to? So, I mean, if you're a little cafe, I mean, you might even be a family-run business with a small amount of employees. Mm. They're under the same kind of pressures as a big cafe with lots of employees, totally. aren't they? I mean, those people are feeling the same thing working in that yep. business versus yep. no different, a big no one. Different. I mean, what are the steps that they can take so to, to we, make positive change? We would say, well, you know, why don't you take take one of your chefs out of the kitchen one day a week and let them do something like this? Let them actually be more involved in the growing process and also understand that, you know, you've got the opportunity to bring this produce back into your venue as well. So I think yeah. I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah, it's interesting actually because a number of businesses I know have taken uh, that idea of not just chefs but front-of-house staff as well. And once upon a time they were too, you know, never the mm. twain shall meet. You're a chef or you're working front-of-house. And yeah. now there's a massive crossover and, and yeah. uh, it's can only be a good thing. I mean, I remember years ago, a Vietnamese restaurant on... Uh, Victoria Street going in and watching all the waiters rolling spring rolls yeah. and then the next week they're painting the walls and you go oh they're exploiting their staff yeah. but actually they're not because yeah. what they're doing is everybody's just a big family yeah. just all working together and feeling engaged and involved I love those restaurants where you go where the chef actually brings the food out to you or you know yeah. the waiter actually goes and prepares the dessert like I think there's a real overlap now and I think that's what people want don't they or get back to the fishmonger and you know do some you know a bit of fish filleting and then going I actually really enjoy this mm. like you know, your chef did, I might become a farmer, yeah. opening their eyes and their minds. Yep. Now, what about your own mental health? I mean, you meditated eight times to, to kick it off at yeah. uh, Top Paddock. That yeah, look, puts I, you in a Zen place, doesn't it? Yeah, look, I, I did start meditating, um, like I said, about a year ago, and I try and do it every day. There's days when I might miss out. Um, but I'm like anybody, I have times where everything's going really well in my life, you know, and then I have other times where I'm like, wow, you know, personal matters might arise. And it's just about acknowledging it and being open and addressing it. And I think, um, you know, I want to live in a world where people are okay to say that. 
And then one of the hardest things for people to do is actually put their hand up and say, I need help. Yeah. And whatever way it is, can be a tiny thing. Just coping with the workload they have yeah. or, or something deeper and darker. Yep. D- uh, getting just on a personal note, describe, describe your family now after mm. 12 years of being a busy cafe owner, restaurant owner, yeah. businessman. You know, because what you did describe earlier was your wife and yourself are mm. apt. You mm. know, all those years ago, have you written the menu? How does it how does it look now? Well, look, she um she was obviously a really big part of our first couple of cafes, but um I think about a week after we sold apt, we were pregnant. So we've now got four kids. So um, <laughs> I've got a nine year old, a seven year old, a four year old, and a two year old. Although um my wife Sarah did come back to work in the kitchen at Liminal a few weeks ago, two days a week. Um, but it meant I had to do the morning uh, run around and. Right. Gee, I thought running a cafe was hard. Yeah, no. I, I was trying to get the kids out the door for, for school. I was like getting out there by 10 a.m. some days and the school's emailing me going, um, your kid's running late. Yeah, you just like, can't yeah, do it. It's too much to do. I actually said to her, can we swap back? <laughs> well, she needs some relief. She, she needs does. to get back in and, yeah. you know, and she's and a have some real chef. world experiences yeah, right does. outside of that. Mm. Uh, what, what does the future hold? Um, look, I'm really excited about this project. I really want to make this our focus. Um, we'd love to be able to do this in other sites around Victoria as well, like, there's such a need for it. And I think if we can just really um, focus on the importance of the food we eat, but also mental health and the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, people serving food and cooking food need to be looked after as much as the customer. Um, for me, mm-hmm. it's all about creative outlet um, and the the joy of building something out of nothing. Um, it's pretty exciting. Do you look far enough forward where you go, I'd love to incorporate my family into it? Do you think that you're, oh. are you going to be a father that says, come on, you know, one day all this will be yours or yeah. are you going to be a father that says, please no, go and do something else? I would love that. Like my, I get all my kids involved. They, they've all been coming down to the farm for the last 10 weeks on Sundays for the working bee. Um, they came and helped me put all the sugar bowls on the table at Liminal a few weeks ago. Um, they're really involved in the business, whether they probably like it or not. It's, it's impossible, yeah. isn't it? But it's an integral be. part of who you are. Yeah. So, you know, and they'll remember it forever. So that's, yeah. a, that's a beautiful thing. Well, Nathan, pleasure having you on the show. We love your cafes. You've you made a massive difference on the Melbourne scene. And the fact that you've had influence across the world, I'll be interested to hear back when you go to LA. Mm. You know, you pop in and you go, you know, this is mine. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Thanks again. Cheers. Now for my tips and tricks. Nathan's become famous, synonymous with taking everyday dishes that you'd find in everyday cafes and turning them into something that you'd imagine in probably some of the finest restaurants. Now, how did you do it? How do you summarise that? It's a difficult one, but I try and look at it like this. You can take a can of beetroot that you buy at the supermarket, you empty the contents, it's pretty average. You take a beetroot, you wash it under the tap, you dry it, you wrap it in a piece of tin foil, and you bake it for an hour and a half. Take it out, remove the skin using the tin foil. Now you've got a chalk and cheese ingredient. One was kind of insipid, a little pale, a little oversweet, kind of beetroot. This one is beetroot in all its glory, like deep rouge, deliciously sweet, a little earthy. You can literally pop that in a bowl, cut it into four, break some beautiful feta or some ghost cheese over the top, drizzle some extra virgin olive oil over the top, a little bit of flake salt, and maybe one or two nasturtium leaves. And you think nasturtium leaves? Come on, guys. But you know what? They're a peppery salad leaf. So that's how you zhuzh up a dish, chef style or Nathan Tolman style. A Plate to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Zwolenski. Audio production is Darcy Thompson and special thanks to Imogen Thomas for all the research. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.